Hello, and welcome to Weekly Wholesome Words with Pastor Josh Grilecki of Twin Cities Grace Fellowship. Join Pastor Josh each week as he gives further insight into God's Word. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Weekly Wholesome Words. And we're going to continue to look at the issue of dealing with sin as one that is justified unto eternal life, the one as one who possesses the forgiveness of sins. And there's a way in which God handles this. When we talk about how to deal with sin as someone who is justified unto eternal life, what you're really getting into is a matter of sanctification, a matter of how it is that you walk in newness of life, how it is that you serve in newness of spirit. And that needs to be understood because the reality is we are still going to sin as Christians. We still have sin in our members. Um, In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 6, when he deals with our sanctification and what God has done for us by his grace, the moment we believed, he gave us a new identity, that which is dead to sin and alive unto God. That's stated in Romans 6, 1 through 10. And then in verse 11, he says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes on and says, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. And that it is sin. And the way in which sin uh, is talked about here, we are exhorted and beseeched by God our Heavenly Father, based upon who he's managed to be in Christ, not to let sin reign in our mortal body. The implication is, although maybe it will never have its reign again, the way in which it did before we were dead to sin and alive unto God, as far as practically, as far as it... uh, exerting its power uh, against us, sin that is, that is a reality that's still existent. Sin is still in our members. Notice he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. He's explaining that sin is still in our mortal body. And if we were never going to sin again, there's no reason for This exhortation in verse 12 and what he's going to further say in verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so we can either yield our members as instruments of of unrighteousness unto sin, or we can yield ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And the reality is, is there's going to be both. And with that being said, that provides us an understanding that we are still going to sin. Not only that, God knows we're going to still sin. And so the question becomes, how do we deal with sin? And when I pose that question, I'm not talking about how it is that we restrain sin, even though there's a, there's, that's what God provides us with us by his grace. And our new identity gives us the capacity to do is to restrain sin and to not sin and to live righteously. When I pose the question, what do we do with sin? It's, it's 
based upon the implication that we are going to sin, how is it that we handle when we sin? What what type of things do we do, if anything at all? What How should we think about that in light of being justified unto eternal life and, be ident- and being identified in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, last time, last week, we took a look at the issue of 1 John 1, 9, and we saw how that is utilized, that, that, that verse is usually employed and utilized in regards to when a Christian sins, there needs to be confession of your sins, and, he, and God is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. But that completely, that type of thinking disregards already that you have the forgiveness of all your sins. If you have the forgiveness of all your sins, why are you asking God to forgive you? There's, that's, that's backwards. And, and not only that, but we looked at 1 John 1, 9. That's not even that. That verse is in regards to God's program with Israel. And within God's program with Israel, that verse isn't even ought to be dealt that way. In other words, um, one of the, the believing remnant out there after the rapture of the church of the body of Christ, when they sin, it's not going to be a matter of confessing their sins and God's going to then forgive them that sin. That confession that's stated there, in First John one nine, is the the initial component of their identification of who they are, because they have a huge problem, a sin problem, and a part of Israel's program was the confession of their sins. That usually, especially at that time in Israel's program, went hand in hand with water baptism, and when they received the counsel of God against themselves and therefore justified God saying, God, you're right. I am a sinner and I need to be cleansed from these things. That was their faith and they were therefore justified by faith and they received the, all their sins were forgiven. So 1 John 1, 9 isn't a verse of how to deal with sin practically once you are saved, even in Israel's program, more or less in our program today in this dispensation of grace. So the question again still remains, how is it that what what are we supposed to do, if anything at all, in regards to when we do sin? Because again, the implication is we can sin, and since we can still sin, we are going to still sin, and how do we deal with that sin when we do? Now, back in the Old Testament, when they sinned, they had to offer a sacrifice. And many people now come along and say, well, Christ is the sacrifice, and therefore it's just the, the, the work that needs to be involved and what needs to be done in, in regard to dealing with sin is the confession of your sins. And that restores fellowship in all those different type of things. But what I want you to see is quite different than any of that. And my understanding of how God wants us to deal with our sin when we commit sin is set forth in Romans chapter 8. Now, the major issue 
that is involved when you do sin and you commit sin and you are now dealing with that, usually there's adverse effects that come from that sin, especially for a believer, how God views them. What is God's attitude towards a believer who sins and who has sinned? And usually, not only does the sin produce guilt, shame, condemnation, uh, ungodly pessimism, but also um, because of how they think God views them for sinning as a believer, they often, we can often feel dejection, rejection, feel uh, that condemnation is, is coming from God, that he is against us, when God wants us to have something else in mind. And in relation to what God wants us to have in mind, I want you, I want to briefly survey a few verses to show you that our serving God, and therefore, even when we do sin, how we deal with it is first and foremost a matter of the mind. Look at Romans chapter 1, all the way back to Romans chapter 1. And I want you to see something in regard to Paul living as a Christian, what it entails. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Now, that issue of serve with my spirit, that's the lowercase s. And the lowercase s, spirit, involves a central, an essential frame of mind. It involves the mind. Come over to Romans. Um, let's pick it up here in chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. There it is again. We serve in newness of spirit, a new way of thinking about things. You go down chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and let's pick it up here in verse 5 as he's going to further explain and amplify what it means to walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. He says in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And the things that God's going to provide are spirit, are spiritual, and they produce a mind. And when we have that mind, it is life and peace even after we just sin. And God wants that life and peace to be had by us. And that's calling upon and that's utilizing his word to us. Now, the, the Spirit's going to start doing some things. The Holy Spirit's going to start doing some things in verse 16 of Romans 8. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then he's going to, the, the, the Spirit's going to continue to bear witness with our spirit with some things and educate us about some things. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in Romans chapter 8 is he prepares us as God's sons and daughters for our failures. And the reason why he's got to prepare us for our failures because the goal 
and the purpose that God has, which he brings out in verse 28 of Romans 8 and 29 and 30, is to conform us to the image of his son. And that's going to be a process. That's going to take the father educating us through his word and also through the the, the proving of his word and the details of our life and our conduct and behavior. And God knows that we are going to meet some obstacles along the way. And there's three major obstacles that we are going to run into. And the first one is not the adversary, nor the policy of evil. It's not the world, or the course of the world, and the, 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 the evilness that resides therein. But the first obstacle that we're going to face is ourselves. We are going to be our own worst enemies. Not only are we going to be our own worst enemies in regards to sinning, but when we do sin, as I mentioned before, the byproducts and the effects of sin can go into despondency, dejection, pessimism, guilt, shame, that would produce a, a faint-heartedness for the believer to continue on being conformed to the image of Christ. That, that, that sin is, is too great. And that's the pressure and the burden that is felt by the believer. And therefore they just throw in the towel and think that it's too much for God to deal with. When the reality is, is God has already dealt with it. And that's what we need to get our mind around. As we're going to serve God with our minds, when we fail and when we sin, the issue becomes a matter of what is on our mind. Because when we do sin, because of the adverse effects of, of sin and the pessimism that we can get wrapped up in, that can overtake us and overcome us to the point where we faint and no longer participate in the conformity to the image of His Son. God has provided a remedy for that, and it affects our mind, so that when we do experience sin, and oh, we will, and when we begin to experience those adverse effects, that we mind the things of the Spirit that are given to us in Romans 8, specifically verse 33. And folks, Romans 8 verse 33 is a gem. It is a gem because it's the remedy and the solution of how to deal with sin when we do sin. And what it does is it provides our Father's, our Heavenly Father's perspective of us in light of any charge that could be brought against us because of a sin or sins that we have committed. And when we gain his perspective, and when we gain his attitude toward us, and when that begins to effectually work in our mind of how our Heavenly Father thinks of us, and the provision that he's made for us, we can utilize it, have it affect our mind, gain that spiritual mindedness, and move on in the process and purpose of our conformity to the image of his Son. Look at Romans 8, look at verse 33, we'll just begin to introduce it. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Usually, folks, these 
questions. There's, there's five questions from 33 to 39. Five questions that oftentimes are just run through in Christianity. But these are very important questions. They are, they are heart-probing questions. And they, they, are, they reach down into, into our heart and effectually work in our heart and our, and our mind so that we have this provision and it becomes a supply for us throughout the rest of our life. And here he poses a question, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now when he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He's not coming along and saying that there's not going to be anyone who is going to attempt to lay a charge to God's elect, to us as believers, as his sons and daughters, but that this charge is going to be of no avail because of the rest of the verse, the remedy, it is God that justifieth. And let me just close by saying it this way. There is someone who lays a charge, lays something to the charge, to our charge. That's the adversary and his cohorts. And they take every opportunity that they have when we sin to, take, to, to produce a charge against us. And they bring that before God in hopes to disjustify us. And with all that, plus the pessimism that we can face because of our failure, notice what the remedy is. It is God that justifieth. In other words, any time that charge that is produced against us because of our failure, because we sin, is brought to God, God's attitude and response to those charges against us is, I justified him. And folks, that's a strong attitude of God's perspective and viewpoint of us. And he takes the strength of his justification unto eternal life and the provision of the forgiveness of sins that he granted to, our, to us way back when we learned in Romans 1-5. through 5, And he uses that and exercises it and shoves it in the face of the adversary when a charge is brought against us because of our sin. And therefore, practically, in regards to when we sin, our attitude should be the same. Not one of a con- wanting to continue to sin, but as we deal with the sin that we just made, it's having the attitude that God has and viewing us, viewing yourself for who God made you to be, and he's justified you unto eternal life. He's forgiven you all your sins, and that gives you the capacity on a daily basis to not experience that pessimism but avail yourself of the godly provision here and have it affect your mind of what something that he's already done so you don't faint, but you pick yourself up and you move on with God's purpose to conform you to the image of his son. Well, we're going to talk about this more next week. Until then, look up. Thanks for joining Pastor Josh for this week's episode of Weekly Wholesome Words. Join him next week for another look into God's word. Until next time, look up.